Welcome to Inside Stories. I'm Jen. And I'm Tequila. And in case you forgot here on Inside Stories, we explore Madison one story at a time. Yeah, now that Tequila said that, it occurred to me that I don't think we've said that in a long time. So, it's okay. Folks yeah. know who we are. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> okay, so this we're with Cynthia this week. And um, so, well, first of all, welcome. Hi, thank well, you. Welcome. <laughs> so this is a story that you told at the Moth, like, well, it's hard to keep track of time because we lost a what year. What is time in the Yeah, was yeah. it two years ago, three years ago? I would say three. Three years it ago. Was my audition story. Right. To be a host. Right. So. And, and then, and then, and then, 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 then you hosted. at least two or three times. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, several years ago. Yes. <laughs> um, so, what we're going to do is we're just going to listen to the story and then we'll we'll talk about it. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Cynthia. Uh I've all, thank you. <laughs> I've always loved love, probably too much. I fall in love all of the time, and it, it just it never disappoints me. It's wonderful. It's magical. The <laughs> getting to know someone new, learning how their brain works is is wonderful. Having the bubbling brooks and raging waters of anxiety slowly transition into a calm wave of contentment as you fall into those patterns that you'll fall into, that some of you already have, that's wonderful. But still, I find myself resistant to the idea of marriage. And I've seen people make it work, I have. But my mom's been married five times and my Grandma's been married seven times, so I know. <laughs> yeah, I like to say that it's not that I don't believe in marriage. It's just that there's not many people out there that I'm not al already related to via marriage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nevertheless, I've been proposed to five times. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand why, frankly. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you a story about the first guy, because he was 13 and he was great, but we were never going to make it. <laughs> I'm sure he'll forgive me. I am going to tell you a story about the second guy, though. Uh, <laughs> 2004 was the end of my high school career and the end of my relationship with Rod, Roger? R Rick? <laughs> Rich. <laughs> Honestly, it was really hard for me to remember his name when I was writing this story. <laughs> but it's not, it's not his name that's really important, is it? You know, it's the feeling of excitement that he brought me when I was 17. <laughs> that's what's important. My entire life, I had considered myself smart, responsible, and very, very boring. <laughs> and Rich changed that, you know? He was the first bad boy I ever met. He, he was cool, he was tough, he told edgy jokes, and he had a real job because he had graduated the year before me. He was a firefighter, which, you know, according to the internet, was hot. It was one of the hot jobs. He dated all the coolest people, so I thought I was cool for being with him. Honestly, I didn't know what I brought to the table. There were red flags, though, you know? I mean, yeah, he was really mean to me. He made fun of me in front of his friends, but he proposed to me. 
And when I said I didn't want to get married till after college, he bought me a promise ring, which was, was nice. And yeah, he did have a tendency to point out when women were hotter than me. But when he found out that I was poor and I had never been able to buy a dress for a school dance, he bought me a $500 prom dress. I know. I thought that was love. <laughs> Turns out he just didn't care about money. <laughs> he didn't really care about me either. <laughs> I did remember the names of his two best friends immediately, Mike and Matt. Good dudes, Mike and Matt. Mike and Matt both came up to me separately on the same day to tell me that Rich had cheated on me while I was on vacation. One week after proposing to me and two weeks before prom. Honestly, breaking up with him was the most exciting time of my life. <laughs> I got to storm down to a firehouse. I got to yell the words, Angela, really? I threw a promise ring at an 18-year-old man and then walked home in the rain. There, there is nothing more cathartic than walking home a mile and a half in the rain after being betrayed at 17. At one point, he got in his car and drove to find me, and then he yelled out of his window, get in the car, you're gonna get sick. And I yelled, I don't care, you make me sick. <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> he drove away. I didn't go home immediately. I walked to a graveyard and I wrote poems <laughs> for three hours, and they're so bad. I still have them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what I didn't realize, you know, I, I thought, I, I had thought over the year of our relationship that the anxiety would fade into that calm wave of contentment as we, our relationship became what it was. But really, I was trying to use those waters to shave down the hard edges, the pieces that didn't match up. And I wouldn't know that for another three years. I know right now you're probably thinking, what did you do with the dress? Did you tear it up? Did you burn it? Did you throw it back at him? No, it was a $500 dress. I wore that dress to prom. I don't have a lot of nice things. <laughs> and I had a great time. The third time someone proposed to me was three years later in college, and it could not have been more different. It was Ryan was his name. He was kind. He was driven, and he was very, very boring. <laughs> and when he proposed to me, I was confused because it didn't seem like he really liked me. Even though we had been together for two years, he didn't, he didn't like my chosen major, he didn't like my friends, he didn't like that I was an artist. And then I realized that he, too, was trying to shave down the pieces of me that didn't fit and to make two things match that should never match. And now, instead of forcing things, I just wait. And maybe, maybe I'll find the person and maybe I won't, but it's better to find a match than to chip away at each other. And that's it, thanks. <laughs>
Um, I love that story. You, I had so many questions yeah. and you answered them in the story. <laughs> so well done. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I'll stop there. I'll let Jen go and ask some questions. Well, before I get to any questions, one of the things that, um, you know, having heard so many people tell so many stories, I feel like one of the one of the best things, if you're particularly in an audience, is how the person telling the story feels about the story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's almost more important than actually what the story is about sometimes. And mm-hmm. you just like, at least how I experienced it in the audience and then now listening to it now, it's like you just like you're enjoying this story so much. You were having, it was making you laugh. You were just like having such a fun time telling it, yeah. which just made it sort of infectious, I think, to listen to. And so what, what was your experience telling it? Did you, was that I... how you felt? I I really did love telling it on stage. I had never told it on stage before or even really written it out, but that's the kind of story that I tell people all the time without the metaphors, but you know, being proposed to and then immediately cheated on was a pretty formative experience in my life and in how I see things. So, right. uh yeah, I I would tell that story at parties and you know, stuff like that uh, and it also became something that as I got older, I recognized the patterns that like we all have patterns that we make in our decision making. And I'm a people pleaser. So I'm always trying to like change myself for the guy or the girl that I have a crush on or the job that I just got to try to like make myself into this perfect thing for something or someone else. Right. And I, and it took me a long time to realize that like changing myself won't make me happy. And then Instead, what I should do is look for the things that fit me instead of trying to make myself fit something else. And once I did that, I was free. So I was trying to, like, embed that philosophy into this story and then also, like, celebrate what it's like to be 17 and stupid. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Because my life has never been that dramatic since. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, college a little bit, but... (laughs) Now I'm so boring. <laughs> we talk about universal themes and weaving mm-hmm. it in a lot. And the ones that stick with me the most are the ones that make me think of that same time period in my life or make mm-hmm. me feel the same things. I, a, I already knew as soon as you started, you were a poet. So when you said you were writing poetry in the graveyard, girl, I was so right there with you <laughs> writing poetry on the soggy yeah. piece of paper in the graveyard. Because um, you use so many metaphors and the way you weave things in and that universal theme of just yeah. your growth. Um, what made you decide to like pick that part? Because you could have picked any number of like life lessons that you learned about yourself. I don't know. It's just uh, it's a story that I, I felt was like at the time heartbreaking, but now not so much. And I know that at Moth you get a lot of stories that are heartbreaking. And um, it's funny that you call me a poet because I have never, like, even though I wrote a lot of poetry in high school, I never thought of myself as a poet per se. I was just writing stuff down. It might be a haiku. It might be a sci-fi story. It might be a lot of times it's jokes and tweets. Um, so for me, I was doing a lot of stand-up at the time, and I didn't want to tell a story that was sad because I've never had to, like, be really vulnerable and emotional on stage. So this was just kind of bridging that gap for me where like I'm very comfortable making people laugh, but like opening up is hard. So I did a little bit of both. And then after that, it kind of like paved the way for me to write more things that 
were in touch with my feelings. But now that I'm older, it's not like trite 17 year old garbage, right. like the poems I wrote when I was a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like very different. So it was like, it was like a thing I needed to do to, I don't know, reach a part of myself that I wasn't allowing to flourish. Mm-hmm. Writing heals people, writing heals. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing, you know, that, that I like that I, I remember really enjoying the story at the, the time you told it. And, and the thing that I think I like about it, I mean, there's lots of things I like about it, but I feel like you sort of did a lot of those things. So, you know, we have, you know, you've probably been there for some of them. We have mm-hmm. people who come who are comics, you know, mm-hmm. and so, you know, Stavon's the same way, I think, as you are. It's like, you're, you're like the, the comedy sort of enhances the story, but it doesn't feel like the whole story is circling around a joke. Yeah. Right. So you, so you have this comedy, but you also had like emotional content, yeah. you know, and then, and some lessons, but then also like my favorite thing that I think about when you're telling a story is to pick like one thing and just dig deep into it, which mm-hmm. you did with the proposal. So we got like a big sense. Yeah. Like that story got really got blown up. But so anyway, I just feel like I had like all the elements going on. Yeah. I was trying to do something that like meant something to me emotionally, but I also, when I'm telling jokes, it's important to me to like infuse something that breaks the from the joke pattern. And I feel like with this story, it was kind of the re- reverse where you're telling a story, you get to you get to like a deep emotional place, you kind of sit in the weight of it, and then I would immediately transition to a joke to kind of break the tension, which is really the opposite of how I work when I'm doing stand up, which is kind of to play with <laughs> yeah well I think you actually pivoted both ways because I can't remember yeah. what the joke was but I wrote this down it was like a joke to pivot because then you you said something funny I don't remember what but then you said it's kind of this you know powerful thing which is like turns out I didn't care about money turns out it re- didn't really care about me so like they yeah. didn't care about the money was sort of the joke yeah I guess then, I did do that yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and there were moments where you kind of use your presence um I like how you laughed at yourself a yeah, lot. I that's think the those are the, part, the, that's the infectious <laughs> yeah. part. Because, you know, you're enjoying the story too, like Jen said. Yeah. But also those moments where you were more somber and serious. Like, if you notice, the audience was, like, right there with you, quiet. Yeah. That's one of the best parts about yeah. the live show. But um, how did that feel? And, and, like, you know, you were being vulnerable and trying it out yeah. in that moment. It honestly felt very powerful to me. Like I said, I don't tell a lot of serious stories. And uh, this was something where I really did feel like the audience was with me the whole time. Like in the beginning when I was talking about the initial feelings of falling in love, it was the Valentine's Day show. So it was really nice to see all these couples like cuddle up against each other. But then when you start talking about marriage and how you're afraid of it, you see everyone suddenly get uncomfortable. (laughs) If they're not already married, they're just kind of like, are we going to have to talk about this later? So I really did feel in the look of people's faces that it was, um, you could see their emotions like riding the same wave that I was riding. And that's something that like in stand-up, you get it if you do it right. Right. <laughs> but they're all, no one is ever going to be with you 100% of the way through your entire, you know, 30-minute set. But through a seven-minute story. Yeah. I could really get them feeling the way I wanted them to feel almost the entire time, which was really fulfilling. Well, you took us to this moment <laughs> where I felt like we were like, this was like, this, this would be like the screenplay for sort of like a rom-com with like an empowerment <laughs> twist, like, you know, yeah. like, the, the, like the walking in the rain, like it definitely, yeah. like I conjured up this whole visual. And, you know, I think hey, a lot of folks, I mean, you know, true for me, like when you said that this breakup was like the most exciting thing that ever happened to you, like, mm-hmm. you know, 
like I dreamed of a breakup at that point. Like I, I kept a list of good breakup songs. I'm like, if I could just, someone could just break my heart. <laughs> like I could put together the best playlist of all time. You know, like so, I so love something weird and new about you every time. <laughs> That's not weird. That can't be weird. I can't be the only. Anyhow, um, I used to, I used to make breakups mixes for my friends who had breakups, but I didn't have my own. So um, anyhow, but I feel like that's just like this moment of 17 where like, yeah, how amazing, right? To get yeah. to, what did you do? You threw a promise ring in a fire yeah. station? I, I got my friend, I didn't have a car. So my friend drove me oh, to even the better. Fire, that's even better. fire station and like let me out a block away. And then he was like working, like cleaning some stuff. And I was like, you, and that we yelled at each other. I don't really remember. It was 15 years ago. <laughs> and I like threw the ring at him. And, you know, at some point he was like, I didn't do it. And I was like, I know you did it. Like, don't lie to me. Like, also before, like, I knew that she was flirting with him, but I, but like, he was like, oh, I don't see her that way. We're not, it's not like that. And I was like, okay. So I was pretty confident in our relationship because I trusted him. Well, and he proposed to you. I mean, because he proposed to me and he spent $500 on a dress and who would. (laughs) waste $500 on someone they barely like. Um, so like I was pretty confident going on that vacation that nothing interesting was going to happen. And, you know, this was before Facebook messenger and constant texting. So like, I didn't really think about it for like a week. I was like, I'm just going to go to the beach and hang out with my family and see him later. And then like everything fell apart immediately. Um, so yeah, stormed down there, threw the ring at him, yelled a bunch, and then it started to rain at the perfect time. (laughs) And to be perfectly honest, like none of that was exaggerated. Um, because I remember like the moth being like, these stories have to be true to your memory. So I was very strict about writing it exactly as I remembered it. Um, and I actually eliminated a couple of other stories because I like couldn't remember the details properly and I didn't want to make stuff up, but I do feel bad now for including people's real names. You only did first names anyhow. It's true. Yeah. So. But I do feel bad about Ryan. He yeah. wasn't so bad. And I, I feel bad for calling him boring. It, you know, it was a two way relationship. He tried to chip away at me. I tried to make him more fun. Neither of us wanted to do that. Um, so, you know, we both made mistakes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's how I feel about it. That's the guilt of a writer. Like, how much to include and how much to protect yeah. identities. But you know what? I say, it's seriously, they should have been nicer to you. You knew yeah. I was a writer. You knew what you were getting yourself into. <laughs> you might would have come up in one I of feel, my stories. I feel no regret against Rich. That He had it coming, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> um. Do you have any more questions on the story? I do. One of the things I did notice um, that you did really well, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, and you did say you were a little bit nervous, but you also played off the audience. um, Mm -hmm. And I know we talked to Esteban, too, about doing that. Is that Mm -hmm. something you normally do in your comedy, or was that something you were testing Oh, absolutely. That's something that, especially at that time in my comedy, I was just starting to embrace it because I've been doing stand-up for... I mean, not counting the pandemic, four and a half years. So at that point, I was just about a year and a half in, and I was just starting to, like, look up from my notebook. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was, like, realizing that, like, it's not all about the memorization. Sometimes you just got to feel what the people in front of you are feeling and, like, go with the flow. 
So I was like just starting to do that in my stand-up, and then I, and then you know when I did it in my storytelling, I just kind of tried to adopt the same tactics. <laughs> yeah, and I think I mean along those lines. I mean, I know I already use this word, the sort of infectious part of it, but I think I mean unless someone's just a really skilled performer, which some people are, who come mm-hmm. to the moth, I, I can tell the difference between someone who is sort of reading the lines in their head and someone mm-hmm. who is in it and sort of responding to the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think those folks are having more fun, you mm-hmm. know? And so, yeah. like, that's what came through to it. Yeah. yeah, and you'll notice there's a couple of parts where I maybe stopped and and restarted the sentence in a different way. And that's usually, that's me cutting out a sentence because I just didn't feel like it fit in the moment. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the part, I think, where I went to, and you're probably wondering what happened to that dress, um, that was because I saw someone, like... Like, I could tell that they were thinking it in the audience um, because I hadn't addressed it. And I had written down something about it that I was going to say later, but I just skipped right to it because it felt right in the moment. Right. Um, but part of that's also because I'm not great at memorization. <laughs> <laughs> and I sense you're naturally good at connecting with people. And some folks just do that. Like, yeah. you know, performers connect with their bandmates and yeah. you connect with people in the audience. Yeah. And hopefully writers are connecting with the people who are reading. Mm-hmm. But do you have any tips on kind of how to connect with your audience a little bit more? Oh, um, I, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I know this is weird for someone who's on stage so much, but I was always just a really quiet person growing up. And I'm... Like, my eyes are always watching. So, like, I read people's facial expressions or I'm paying attention to see if something piques their interest and they, like, whisper in their friend's ear. And, you know, in comedy, when you see someone do that or, like, react weird, you can just talk to them from the stage. Um, and I always love doing that to just just being like, hey, what would you just say to that guy? <laughs> I love that. And then using that as like a jumping off point to connect with that person, connect with the audience as a whole, and like maybe lead me into either a joke that I'm improvising or a joke that's, you know, around a similar thing, um, similar topic. Uh, with storytelling, honestly, I'm not as familiar with the conceits. And, you know, rules and regulations. (laughs) I wouldn't do something like that at the moth, but it's the same thing where, like, if you see someone reacting, that can, in a certain way, that can, you can respond to it, either emotionally, physically, or, like, with your words. Like, Mm -hmm. a part of it is just second nature. I can't see someone else laugh or be sad without feeling like I have to be Mm -hmm. happy or sad in response. (laughs) Right. Um, I'm just a big mirror. (laughs) You're an empath. That's okay. <laughs> but that's the best because, you know, you feed off of each other and that's yeah. how story grows. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, so we have uh, questions we've been asking um, people uh, mm-hmm. and and I'm embarrassed to say that because you always ask the first one. Well, you ask I don't, the first I don't one. remember what it is exactly. <laughs> it's like, what what have you learned? What have you, what learned, you learned, about yourself? learned about yourself during the pandemic? Oh, gosh. Um <laughs> The pandemic was kind of a lot for me. I like yeah. I used to be an office manager and then they went to like permanently disperse. So like you don't need an office manager when you don't have an office. Mm, that's true. Um so I really had to do like a serious like inventory of my skills and desires and what I want to do and um I uh realized I also lived alone. 
for the entire pandemic. And I realized that I'm a lot more self-sufficient than I thought I was. I used to be the kind of person where I had to go out every night and see people or thought I was going to die. But uh, it turns out I'm pretty good company. <laughs> and like now I can go to the movies by myself and I don't even yes. feel that weird about it. Right. But like if I want to go to the movies and no one is available, my boyfriend lives in Minneapolis, I can just go. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Plus you can go in the afternoon and you don't have to. It's not as expensive. It's great. Exactly. <laughs> I recommend yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that you picked up any guilty pleasures or weird things you binged or overindulged in? Um, (laughs) I I went through a period where I was like obsessively doing any kind of hobby I could get my hands on. So I was like, I did watercolors, I did crochet, embroidery, I bought a bunch of clay and made some earrings. Um, I was just kind of all over the place. Um, then I started obsessively cleaning and then I got tired of that and I got obsessively messy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think I, I live near a bunch of bike trails and like walking around is super fun, but a lot of the time I just like caught up on trash TV that I've never had the opportunity to watch before. So like, like. I never watched Gossip Girl until this year. Like the original original? one, not the one that just came out like three weeks ago, but like the old school Gossip Girl. And it did feel like, like it made me feel very relaxed. It's like I'm a child again because I'm watching this TV show that only kids watch. (laughs) (laughs) But it's nice to turn your brain off (laughs) at the end of a long, hard, you know, work day, pandemic day, just to watch two hours of, you know, hot people yelling at each other is great. <laughs> That's how I feel about the Real Housewives or yeah. Love and Hip Hop. Just turn my brain off and just be ratchet yeah. for a minute. It's okay. Yeah, it's nice. And I don't, I don't watch a lot of reality TV because I, it's like I don't know, my brain just can't connect with it. I've only watched one reality TV show in the last probably decade mm. and it's only because i knew someone who was in it so i felt like i had to Ooh, which, what, which one was it it was the circle the first well, season i knew so, we were going to yeah. end up talking I, about the I, circle i, I, I actually time. i actually was gonna i was telling myself no because i don't Did watch reality know? tv but i became i was told to watch this i became addicted i love yeah. it so who, who do you know uh sammy from the first season of the u.s version she's got curly hair and like a rainbow shirt how far did she go in the season like the last episode i think oh oh she's got like she's like hispanic beautiful yeah yeah she's my cousin she was my favorite <laughs> she's everyone's favorite she was, yeah she was amazing she's my favorite cousin don't tell anyone. oh my gosh <laughs> I, I almost need your autograph or something i'm very excited <laughs> she was great i had to um I, the thing that confused me is like do they all truly spend that much time putting on eye makeup? I, I, we had so oh, many scenes. I have never seen her when she's not beat to death. It's like crazy. So they all she really do. She wears more makeup than anyone I've ever seen, and it's always flawless. Well, but on the show, they all are. Everyone's just yeah. like, they're just in the bathroom talking to the talking to the circle. That's putting, like what she does. If right? she's not working, she's putting on makeup, and right. she wakes up super early to put on makeup and well, do her she looks, hair. She does it very well. She um, does it very well. I don't have the energy. <laughs> A couple weeks ago, I went home, and funny story she was like I was like what are you doing tonight and she was like oh you know I'm just gonna hang out with some of the cousins and I was like cool and she was like you want to come and I was like well where are we going 
so I know what to wear. And she was like, oh, it doesn't matter what you wear. I, like, nobody cares what anyone's wearing. And I'm like, nobody cares what you're wearing. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important that I don't look like a 34-year-old old lady if we end up at a club. And she was like, it really doesn't matter. And then I ended up looking like a 34 year old lady at a club because I was wearing overalls and at the last minute they decided to go to this place called bootleggers which is exactly the kind of club it sounds like <laughs> um, but it was fun I danced I drank coronas all night and nobody looked at me because I'm old <laughs> but I can or dance yay. like no, no it was, honestly it was great I've never felt so free because like you could dance like no one was watching because truly no one was watching <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm very happy that we had a circle reference. So yeah. every time someone's going to talk about the circle, I'm still not going to watch it. Right. <laughs> you um, don't have to. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming in and letting us share your story. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. This was great. <laughs> that story a lot we don't normally have a lot of um women who can do the comedy and seriousness um in a way that i can connect with because i'm a weirdo so but i like her story yeah i really i like to do i mean it, it sort of gave me like a lot to a lot to think about plus i had fun listening to it uh it is interesting having two comedians in a row a Stavon and then and then her like it is a it's, it's a different way of telling stories like they both are just so comfortable on the stage and mm-hmm. you know can react to the audience in ways that not everyone can. So maybe we need to balance it next week with someone who's more awkward on the stage or something. Everybody's awkward on the stage, yeah. though. Yeah, but uh, no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's funny because I, re- I, you know, I remember when I heard it, which is why I, I said to Richard, like, can you, can you pull up our audio? Because I remember liking it. And then I listened to him like, oh, yeah, we should have her on. Good choice. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, what do we have to, what, do we, what else do we have to say to people? Um, so let's see. So this one's going to come out in mid mid to late August. So hopefully by then there'll be a date for when the moth is. But as of, no, no. Well, I'm pretty sure it's September 11th. But if you don't, if you're on Facebook, you should look up the moth in Madison and like it because we'll post when the next live storytelling event is happening. Yes. And if you come out, make sure you have your dang on mask on. <laughs> yes. I have a feeling, I think right now the Heinen Saloon does not have a mask wearing policy, but I'm I'm sure within days they probably will. Mm-hmm. Seems like it's changing quickly. But we are still doing our storytelling workshops virtually and semi in person. I don't know. We'll see how those go. Um, and inside stories podcast at gmail.com is where you can book us. Yeah. I mean, definitely get in touch with us. If you, first of all, if you have like any ideas of like someone's story we might want to listen to to put on the podcast. Um, some of these storytelling events we're going to be doing in the future, I, I bet some of those will probably end up in the, in the podcast in the future. So, yeah, just get in touch with us, and we'd love to hear from you. Yes. And on our last episode, not the one with Esteban, the one before that, I will say we sounded pretty good. So, Richard, you are doing a great job. I was like, ooh, I sound like I am a real radio personality. So feel free to book Richard also, but thank you for the dope accommodations. You, uh, I, I do think you have a you have a – a lovely speaking voice, you know. Thank like, you. is it like a, it's like what's that called? It's like a low register. That's uh, not a baritone with women. What, what is it? Alto. I don't know. I wasn't in chorus. I don't know. <laughs> but anyhow, you have a nice, you have, you have a good sounding voice. Um, let's see. So if this is the first one you've listened to, maybe you're good friends with Cynthia, so you listen to it. Um, just go and subscribe so you can hear our other episodes. Yeah.
right. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Or we'll listen to you. We'll, you'll see hear you. You messed it up. We'll hear you. See you something. Something. Yeah, I shouldn't have the last word. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye.